Thus, they attempted to separate the natural from the supernatural in the New Testament accounts about Christ. And so, quote unquote, disentangle the human Jesus from the divinity thrust upon him by the early church. But as Machen points out, the supernatural Jesus is the only Jesus that we know. The scriptural record simply does not give us the liberty of separating the divine and human in the life of Christ. The, quote, divine and human are too closely interwoven. Reject the divine. And ultimately, Machen asserted, you must reject the human too, end quote. Welcome to Christ Overall, a podcast dedicated to helping the church see Christ as Lord and everything else under his feet. My name is David Schrock, and today I'm introducing Michael Haken's long-form essay, John Gresham Machen, Defender of the Faith. Already this month, we have heard from Daryl Hart on the background of Christianity and liberalism, the book written 100 years ago that made Machen a household name among the Reformed and always reforming. Indeed, Machen's ministry left an indelible mark on American Christianity. After standing up against liberal theology, he started Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He founded a new denomination in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and he is also remembered for his clear writing and bold witness of the faith that continue to inspire pastors and churchmen alike today. For these reasons and more, we are dedicating this month to him and his book, Christianity and Liberalism. Yet with any book, it is always good to know something of the author. And so in this long form, that is what we have from Michael Haken. Yet before moving to the long form, we should know something about who is writing this biography. Dr. Haken is Professor of Church History and Biblical Spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He is also the director of the Andrew Fuller Center for Baptist Studies at the same seminary. Coming to Southern from Canada, Dr. Haken has a BA in Philosophy from the University of Toronto, a Master of Religion from Wycliffe College, the University of Toronto, and a PhD in Church History from Wycliffe College and the University of Toronto. He is the author of numerous works that range from the Patristics to Particular Baptists, He has also written on the Holy Spirit and the Spirit Fighters of the 4th century, as well as a number of works on biblical spirituality as well. In short, he is a much-beloved teacher at Southern Seminary and a well-respected scholar around the world, and so it is our delight to have him contribute this essay. It is also our delight to run into many listeners of Christ Overall at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans last week. We're thankful for all those who have supported this ministry and for those who have taken time to write for us and those who have taken time to write to us about what they have read. If you're ever interested in writing something, please let us know. Get in touch with us on the website. Or if you wonder what we write, you can go back to the previous months at ChristOverall.com where you can see each of the themes that begin all the way back in the fall of last year. Even more, if you would like to support this ministry so that we can continue to amplify the outreach of Christ Overall, you can do that at our website as well christoverall.com slash give. We're always looking for friends to partner with us in this work. And if you'd like to do that, we'd love to talk to you. For now, though, we have a long form to read. And so, without any further delay, I give to you Michael Haken's essay, John Gresham Machen, Defender of the Faith. John Gresham Machen, Defender of the Faith by Michael A.G. Haken, read by Kevin McClure. In the early stages of what has come to be known as the fundamentalist modernist controversy, John Gresham Machen, who lived from 1881 to 1937, 
then professor of New Testament literature and exegesis at Princeton Theological Seminary, set this struggle in the overall framework of church history. The struggle, he noted, quote, is one of the three great crises in the history of the Christian church. One came in the second century when Christianity was almost engulfed by paganism in the church in the form of Gnosticism. There was another in the Middle Ages when legalism was almost dominant in the church, similar to the modern legalism, which appears in the liberal church. Christianity today is fighting a great battle, but I, for my part, am looking for ultimate victory. God will not desert his church, end quote. This third, quote-unquote, great battle, of which Machen here speaks, had erupted within the ranks of his ecclesial community, Northern Presbyterianism, in 1922 when Harry Emerson Fosdick, 1878-1969, a liberal Baptist minister, trumpeted forth the question from the pulpit of the First Presbyterian Church in New York, shall the fundamentalists win? Machen's answer to this question, as he looked at the church's victory in the previous quote-unquote great crises of her history, was an unequivocal yes. Here, Machen's confidence in a sovereign God is abundantly evident. But his deep interest in history is also apparent. In fact, W. Stanford Reed has argued that Machen was above all an historian. For proof, Reed appeals to Machen's 1915 address called History and Faith, which Machen gave at his installation as Princeton's Associate Professor of New Testament in May of that year. Machen's opening sentence asserted that the, quote, student of the New Testament should be primarily an historian. The center and core of all the Bible is history, end quote. Now, Whether or not Reed is correct in describing Machen as first and foremost an historian, there's little doubt that Machen was aware that absolutely central to his disagreement with liberalism was the question of the nature of history as it related to Christianity. The liberals, according to Machen, were quote-unquote impatient of history. From their vantage point, he went on to observe, quote, history is a dead thing. The true essence of the Bible is to be found in eternal ideas. History is merely the form in which those ideas are expressed. It makes no difference whether the history is real or fictitious. In either case, the ideas are the same. It makes no difference whether Abraham was an historical personage or a myth. In either case, his life is an expiring example of faith. It makes no difference whether Jesus really lived and died and rose again as he is declared to have done in the Gospels. In any case, the Gospel picture, be it ideal or be it history, is an encouragement to filial piety. End quote. Machen was confident, though, that to give up history is to give up the Gospel. For Machen pointed out, the term Gospel means good news. That is, quote, tidings information about something that has happened. In other words, it means history. A gospel independent of history is simply a contradiction in terms, end quote. And before we examine Machen's approach to the relationship of history and the Christian gospel in more detail, it will be helpful to outline his early career before becoming a defender of the faith. Machen's Early Years Machen was born in 1881 in Baltimore, Maryland, then at the crossroads of northern and southern life. 
His father, Arthur Machen, 1826-1915, a lawyer, was a Southerner in his sympathies, even though he grew up in Washington, D.C. In the middle of the Civil War, for instance, he began to attend regularly Franklin Street Presbyterian Church in Baltimore, a church which joined the Southern Presbyterian Church just after the war and whose pastor, J.J. Bullock, was a firm supporter of the South. His mother, Mary Gresham Machen, 1849 to 1931, was, in the words of George Marsden, quote-unquote, indelibly a daughter of the lost cause of the Confederacy. During the war, she had lived in Macon, Georgia, while her brother fought under the Confederate flag. Later, after her marriage to Arthur Machen, she would join the Baltimore chapter of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Despite the defeat of the South and the many hardships that this brought, she still managed to grow up a privileged member of an antebellum Southern aristocracy. Mary passed on to young Gresham the values of this aristocratic elite. In politics, for example, he would be a radical libertarian and a firm advocate of racial segregation, as well as her robust Calvinist spirituality. As a young boy, he was taught the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which by his teen years gave him a good command of the riches of scripture and reformed doctrine. In 1898, Machen went to John Hopkins University in Baltimore, graduating three years later with a BA in classics. At the urging of his pastor, Harris E. Kirk, he went on to Princeton Seminary in 1902, though at the time he had no intention of entering vocational ministry. Princeton was renowned as a quote-unquote Gibraltar of orthodoxy, her faculty justly proud of the school's quote, unswerving fidelity to the theology of the Reformation, end quote. Since the founding of the seminary in 1812, a noteworthy line of theologians, among them Archibald Alexander, 1772 to 1851, Charles Hodge, 1797 to 1878, Archibald Alexander Hodge, 1823 to 1886, and Benjamin B. Warfield, 1851 to 1921, had, quote, upheld reformed confessionalism, defended high views of biblical inspiration and authority, organized their thinking with the aid of the Scottish philosophy of common sense, and had a surprisingly large place for the role of the Holy Spirit in religious experience, end quote. Three years of study at the seminary gave Machen skill as a biblical exegete, particularly with regard to the New Testament, but no clear direction as to his future. In his final year of study, he won a fellowship in New Testament, which encouraged him to think of spending a year abroad, honing his abilities as a scholar. He decided to spend the academic year of 1905 to 1906 in Germany, studying with such well-known New Testament scholars as Adolf Juliker, 1857-1938, Johannes Weiss, 1863-1914, Wilhelm Busset, 1865-1920, and Johann Wilhelm Hermann, 1846-1922. On a previous visit to Germany in the summer of 1904, he had concluded that the two institutions which Germany most needed were the Sabbath and American football. This time, though, he would learn that there was something even more basic that was wanting, evangelical scholarship. Sitting at the feet of these German scholars, Machen was exposed to the full force of liberalism. Although Machen had had religious doubts before he had ever set foot in Europe, his experience in Germany shook his faith to the core. Fifteen years earlier, 
another American visitor to the halls of German Academie, a Michigan student by the name of D.C. Davidson, compared the experience of theological study in Germany to a furnace in which his Christian convictions were tried to the very depths. He wrote, quote, I have encountered many a fiery temptation, but I have never had a temptation cross my pathway so subtle and dangerous as that of German destructive criticism, end quote. Machen's experience was similar in many respects, but whereas Davidson was rescued by the preaching of C.H. Spurgeon, 1834 to 1892, only a few months after the trial of his faith, it would be a good while before Machen knew his feet to be planted again on the solid rock of orthodoxy. Of all the scholars whom Machen heard lecture during this time in Germany, none impressed him so much as Wilhelm Hermann. Hardly known today, Hermann was at that time probably the leading liberal theologian in Europe. Among his students were a number who would be well-known figures on the scene of 20th century theology, including Rudolf Bultmann, 1884-1976, and Karl Barth, 1886-1968. As a lecturer, Hermann was captivating. Machen noted in a letter to his father that Hermann, quote-unquote, speaks right to the heart, refusing, quote, to allow the student to look at religion from a distance as a thing to be studied merely, end quote. In another letter to his father, Machen observed that in, quote, New England, those who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus are, generally speaking, religiously dead, end quote. But this was not the case with Herman. Though Herman denied the bodily resurrection, he, quote, believes that Jesus is the one thing in all the world that inspires absolute confidence and an absolute joyful subjection, end quote. Machen was certainly not ignorant of definite flaws in Herman's theology, yet he confessed to his father that his chief feeling with respect to Herman was, quote-unquote, one of the deepest reverence. Herman was convinced that historico-critical research into the life of Christ can never provide an unassailable footing for Christian faith. Quote, no historical judgment ever attains anything more than probability, end quote. It is, he averred, quote, a fatal error to attempt to establish the basis of faith by means of historical investigation, end quote. The assurance that faith needs can only come directly from the person of Christ himself. As a person reads the New Testament, the love and moral seriousness that characterize the inner life of Christ shines through its pages, impacting the reader and transforming his or her life. True faith is rooted in this encounter with the inner life of Christ as it is portrayed in the New Testament. This encounter, quote, sets us free from the mere record of the scriptures because it presses in upon us as a power that is present through its work upon us, end quote. It is thus that the inner life of Christ constitutes for Herman the, quote, unquote, saving fact of the New Testament. Since this is the case, the truth or falsity of the historical details of Christ's external life is of little significance. Herman admits that the events of Christ's life and ministry, by means of which the faith of the early disciples was saved from shipwreck, have immeasurable importance for the church in every era. 
If they had not taken place, then there would be no written record about Christ. But later readers have no direct access to these events, since the accounts in the Gospels are shrouded in myth. Yet such historical errors and myths in no way impede the New Testament's witness to the personal character of Jesus. For Herman, quote, The power of Jesus' inner life breaks through all the veils of tradition and provides the believer with a firmer ground of faith than the determination to accept the resurrection of Jesus by submission to the apostolic witness, end quote. Herman's thought in this regard is well expressed by the following words of the liberal church historian Adolf van Harnack, 1851-1930, which were intended for popular consumption. Quote, We must not try to evade the gospel by entrenching ourselves behind the miraculous stories related by the evangelists. In spite of these stories, nay, in part even in them, we are presented with a reality which has claims upon our participation. Study it, and do not let yourselves be deterred because this or that miraculous story strikes you as strange or leave you cold. The question of miracles is a relative indifference in comparison with everything else which is to be found in the Gospels. End quote. Machen's traumatic first-hand encounter with German liberalism came to a close in the summer of 1907 when he accepted a one-year appointment at Princeton as an instructor in New Testament. The invitation to return to Princeton may well have been a concerted effort on the part of the faculty, in particular Benjamin Warfield, to rescue Machen from the clutches of liberalism. Machen seriously contemplated returning to Germany at the conclusion of that academic year, but happily his career became steadily entwined with the halls of Princeton. He stayed on, teaching New Testament, seeking to resolve the doubts that plagued him, slowly yielding to scriptural truth and the winsome influence of his colleagues, of whom the chief was Warfield. Thus, by the time he was formally installed as assistant professor of New Testament in 1915 and gave his inaugural address on history and faith, he had come to firmly adhere to the Princeton tradition. History and Faith, 1915. This inaugural address makes it abundantly clear that the clouds had lifted and Machen had resolved the doubts which had bedeviled him ever since his time in Germany. History and Faith is thus a public reply to Hermann and the liberal perspective on history and the reliability of Scripture. Machen begins with a basic assertion already noted that, quote, a gospel independent of history is simply a contradiction in terms, end quote. Biblical faith and history are inextricably yoked together. For instance, in the scriptural account of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ, various historical assertions are made. He is said to be born of a virgin, to have lived a life of perfect purity, of awful righteousness, and of gracious sovereign power, to have died a death that is never viewed as a mere holy martyrdom, which is a common assertion in early 20th century liberal circles, but seen as a quote-unquote sacrifice for the sins of the world, to have been resurrected bodily, which was a mighty act of God and a fact of history, not quote-unquote a vision, an hallucination, as some liberals asserted 
to being still alive and ever ready to help those who turn to him, to be in mysterious union with the eternal God. The composite picture drawn from the Pauline corpus in the four Gospels is, Machen asserts, the portrayal of nothing less than, quote-unquote, a supernatural person. Liberal scholars, however, seeking to retool Christianity to fit the naturalistic viewpoint of the surrounding culture, wanted nothing to do with a supernatural Jesus. They felt that ancient ideas of God and his supernatural intervention in the world had little to say to men and women living in modern 20th century urban cultures. Thus, they attempted to separate the natural from the supernatural in the New Testament accounts about Christ, and so, quote-unquote, disentangle the human Jesus from the divinity thrust upon him by the early church. But as Machen points out, the supernatural Jesus is the only Jesus that we know. The scriptural record simply does not give us the liberty of separating the divine and human in the life of Christ. The, quote, divine and human are too closely interwoven. Reject the divine. And ultimately, Machen asserted, you must reject the human too, end quote. Then look, Machen suggested, at the beginning of the Christian movement. What is to account for it? During his life and earthly ministry, Christ had won, quote unquote, comparatively few disciples. Left to their own resources, these disciples can hardly be credited with beginning what we know as Christianity. They were far inferior to Christ, quote, in spiritual discernment and in courage, end quote, and had not the, quote-unquote, slightest trace of originality. They had been, quote, abjectly dependent upon the master, end quote, during his earthly life, and had moreover never succeeded in understanding him. And, quote-unquote, what little understanding, what little courage they did have, was dissolved after his death. Machen asked, quote, how could such men institute the mightiest religious movement in the history of the world, end quote. Simply looking at the historical record, Machen concluded, it is obvious that something extraordinary must have happened between the death of Christ and the bold preaching of the first disciples. Well, Scripture explains the transformation by means of the resurrection of Christ. History is relentlessly plain. The foundation of the church is either inexplicable or else it is to be explained by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But if the resurrection be accepted, then the lofty claims of Jesus are substantiated. Jesus then was no mere man, but God and man. God come in the flesh. As we have seen with the theology of Wilhelm Hermann, the liberal remolding of Christianity emphasized Christian experience at the expense of historical truth. Although Machen had a tendency to respond to this distortion of biblical Christianity by focusing on the historical and logical truth of the Christian faith, he was not oblivious to the necessity of experience. Thus, as he drew his address to a close, he stated, quote, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact of history. It is good news. It is an event that has put a new face upon life. 
But how can the acceptance of an historical fact satisfy the longing of our souls? Must we stake our salvation upon the intricacies of historical research? Is the trained historian the modern priest without whose gracious intervention no one can see God? Surely some more immediate certitude is required. End quote. The objection would be valid if history stood alone. But history does not stand alone. It is confirmed by experience. Quote, An historical conviction of the resurrection of Jesus is not the end of faith, but only the beginning. If faith stops there, it will probably never stand the fires of criticism. We are told that Jesus rose from the dead. The message is supported by a singular weight of evidence. But it is not just a message remote from us. It concerns not merely the past. If Jesus rose from the dead, as he is declared to have done in the Gospels, then he is still alive. And if he is still alive, then he may still be found. He is present with us today to help us if we will but turn to him. Christian experience cannot do without history, but it adds to history that directness, that immediateness, that intimacy of conviction which delivers us from fear. End quote. The historicity of the resurrection is substantiated as men and women are led to put their trust in the message that Christ is risen from the dead and find that that trust is not misplaced. Machen was thus very conscious of the fact that there is a subjective side to the Christian life. As he stated in a 1920 address to the General Assembly of the Free Church of Scotland, quote, We cannot tell all that it, namely Christianity, is by merely historical method. We cannot tell all that it is by looking at it merely from the outside. In order that we should tell all that it is, we must ourselves be Christians. We must know Christianity in our own inner lives. End quote. Moreover, it should be noted that Machen did not believe that demonstration of the historicity of the resurrection and other facts about Christ necessarily issued in faith. Contrary to the opinion of some contemporary critics, notably William Owen Carver, 1868-1954, a professing evangelical who taught missions at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky for most of his career, Machen was not forgetful that the work of the Spirit is absolutely fundamental for faith. In a later work entitled, What is Faith? 1925, Machen thus asserted that it is only where the Spirit has removed, quote-unquote, the blinding effects of sin that a person will come to, quote, believe in the resurrection of Christ and thus accept the claims of Christianity, end quote. And in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, 1923, to which we now turn, he affirmed, quote, the more one observes the condition of the church, the more one feels obliged to confess that the conviction of sin is a great mystery, which can be produced only by the Spirit of God. Proclamation of the law in word and in deed can prepare for the experience, 
but the experience itself comes from God. When a man has that experience, when a man comes under conviction of sin, his whole attitude toward life is transformed. He wonders at his former blindness and the message of the gospel, which formerly seemed to be an idle tale, becomes now instinct with light. But it is God alone who can produce the change. End quote. Machen thus pled with his readers, quote unquote, let us not try to do without the Spirit of God. Christianity and Liberalism, 1923. In 1923, the year following Fosdick's call for liberals to take up arms against fundamentalism, Machen published his definitive attack on the liberal system, Christianity and Liberalism. By this point in time, Machen was conscious that liberalism had moved far beyond the halls of academia where he had first encountered its destructive force. Its withering effects could now be seen in the everyday life of the church. Its, quote, attack upon the fundamentals of the Christian faith, carried on vigorously by Sunday school lesson helps, by the pulpit, and by the religious press, end quote. The book Christianity and Liberalism thus sought to engage liberalism at a popular level. Now, it is noteworthy, as John Piper has pointed out, that Machen did not entitle his book Fundamentalism and Liberalism. In his mind, liberalism and fundamentalism were not, quote-unquote, two varieties of the same religion. Rather, they were, quote, two distinct religions preceding from altogether separate roots, end quote. Possibly the most powerful of the seven chapters in the book is that entitled Doctrine. In it, Machen tackles the liberal assertion that experience is the bedrock of the Christian faith and that in its essence, quote-unquote, Christianity is a life, not a system of doctrinal truth. As Machen points out, first of all, when one reads the letters of the Apostle Paul, it is obvious that he was not, quote, indifferent to doctrine. On the contrary, doctrine was the very basis of his life, end quote. His was no, quote-unquote, undogmatic religion. He was deeply concerned about the truth of his message and the need to get it exactly right. On the manner of its presentation, though, the Apostle Paul could show, quote-unquote, magnificent tolerance. For example, in Philippians, Paul was tolerant of those who with bad motives preached to make his imprisonment worse. Why? It's because these people were declaring what was objectively true about Christ. We can see this in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Machen was quick to point out, quote, that the tolerance of Paul was not indiscriminate, end quote. In Galatia, he went so far as to pronounce a curse on his opponents because they were getting the message objectively wrong. They were telling Gentiles that the believer's own effort to keep the law was necessary to complete the saving work that God had begun in their lives by faith and by the Spirit. To 20th century liberals, Paul's action may appear to be fighting over utter trivialities, since both he and the Judaizers would have agreed on dozens of precious things, including the necessity of faith for salvation. But it was hardly trivial. Machen wrote, quote, The difference which divided 
the Apostle Paul from the Judaizers, was no mere theological subtlety, but concerned the very heart and core of the religion of Christ. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that was what Paul was contending for in Galatia. That him would never have been written if the Judaizers had won. And without the thing which that hymn expresses, there is no Christianity at all. End quote. Again, if one looks at the first missionaries of the Apostolic Church, one does not find them exhorting their hearers with such words as, Jesus of Nazareth lived a wonderful life of filial piety. And we call upon you, our hearers, to yield yourselves, as we have done, to the spell of that life. No. The great message with which these early disciples were armed was, quote-unquote, an historical message. Christ died for our sins, and he is risen. Their witnessing was not about, quote, what Jesus was doing within the inner recesses of the individual life, end quote but to what Jesus had done once for all in his death and resurrection. Without history and the doctrinal explanation of that history, quote, joined in an absolutely indissoluble union, there is no Christianity, Machen forthrightly declared. As he wrote two years later, quote, We believers in historic Christianity maintain the objectivity of truth. Theology, we hold, is not an attempt to express in merely symbolic terms an inner experience which must be expressed in different terms in subsequent generations. But it is a setting forth of those facts upon which experience is based. End quote. Some liberals, though, were quite prepared to admit that Paul and the Apostolic Church misunderstood the true nature of Christianity. Thus, they appealed to Jesus as one who taught a, quote, simple, non-doctrinal religion, end quote. Again, Machen shows how such an appeal flies in the face of the historical facts about Christ's life and ministry. The teaching of Christ was rooted in doctrine since, quote-unquote, it depended upon a stupendous presentation of Christ's own person, his messianic consciousness, his placing, quote, his own words on an equality with what he certainly regarded as the divine words of Scripture, Christ's claiming of the right to legislate for the kingdom of God, end quote. The liberal desire, then, for a, quote-unquote, non-doctrinal religion is in reality a giving up not only of Paul and the Apostolic Church, but of Jesus himself. Machen writes, quote, The liberal preacher is really rejecting the whole basis of Christianity, which is a religion founded on facts, end quote. It is for this reason that Machen can affirm that naturalistic liberalism is not simply a different kind of Christianity. It is not Christianity at all. Conclusion In conclusion, Machen's defense of Christianity as an historically verifiable, 
doctrinally rooted faith remind us of a number of vital truths that are inextricably interwoven. God has revealed himself in history, primarily in the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ. Men and women have access to this revelation in the scriptures, and the Christian faith is rooted in these specific historical events. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Machen well knew that Christianity is more than history. As he told the Scottish Free Church Assembly in 1927, quote, we must know Christianity in our inner lives, end quote. But if the historical affirmations of the Bible are not true, if they are errant accounts clothing inerrant truth, or if, as is commonly affirmed by radical deconstructionists today, we have no access to these historical events, then Christianity is sunk. It is vital to recognize that this issue is not merely of antiquarian interest. Some contemporary evangelicals seem bent on reproducing the errors of those whom Machen so ably opposed. John Goldengay, principal of St. John's Theological College in Nottingham, England, and a professing evangelical, has critiqued the high doctrine of Scripture evidenced in the Princeton tradition. Warfield, in particular, is taken to task by Goldengay for affirming the factual and historical inerrancy of Scripture. Goldengay believes that while the Bible is errant in some of its historical and scientific details, on the whole, it is quite reliable. The assertion that the Bible is inerrant is only accurate when it comes to matters dealing with salvation for Goldengay. To be sure, Goldengay's position is not that of Herman or Harnack, who regarded much of the historical narrative of Scripture as riddled with myth and error. But the difference appears to be simply one of degree and not one of kind. As Machen reflected on the way that the liberalism of his day was obscuring the gospel, he longed for a new reformation, a time when the gospel would, quote, come forth again to bring light and liberty to mankind, a time when those upon whom God has laid his hand to whom the gospel has become a burning fire within them, speak the word that God has given them and trust for the results to him alone, end quote. When such a time came, it would, quote, not be the work of men, but the work of the Spirit of God, end quote. Nevertheless, he was convinced that the coming of this time, quote, will be prepared for, not by the concealment of issues, but by clear presentation of them, not by peace in the church between Christian and anti-Christian forces, but by earnest discussion, not by darkness, but by the light." May we, by God's grace, share both this longing and this conviction.